Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I am joined by Chase Voles. He is the CDC, the Chef de Cuisine at Blue Dorn in Houston, Texas. Uh, we had the privilege of eating there back in March, and we ate at a few different places in Houston and Dallas, I think like one place in San Antonio, a couple places in Austin, just kind of on uh, Texas kind of rodeo road trip, as they kind of call it, when you kind of hit all the major cities. But we had the pleasure of eating there, and it was a fantastic meal. As I'll reference kind of in this interview a few times, the portion sizes are large, to say the least, but it's not like gimmicky. The food is still delicious. It's just way more of it than you would ever anticipate. I got a duck a orange dish, and it probably was... The size of like two entrees if that dish was on any other restaurant's menu. So we get into his career, how he got started cooking, you know, all the different places that he worked, how he wound up in Houston, Texas, you know, when he first met Aaron Bludorn, who's the executive chef and owner and founder of the restaurant too as well. Aaron, you might have seen Netflix did that kind of cooking competition thing. Uh, he participated on that. He was kind of one of the, he was with Team USA in that. And I think they were kind of like one of the final four. So he made it pretty far in, in that Netflix competition, which I don't think they're doing anymore. They only ever did one season. But uh, if you're looking for something to watch, that's on there. I think it's from like 2018. It's a good restaurant. We had a great time there. You didn't really know what to expect kind of going in. Uh, it was on a lot of different restaurant lists of kind of places to eat or best places in Houston and, and whatnot. Houston's kind of an odd city to try and get around. It feels like it takes 15 to 20 minutes to get anywhere. Even if it's like the next neighborhood over from where you're already at, it feels like it takes 15 minutes. So just be prepared for that if you've never visited Houston. Um, that was kind of a shock to us where it was just like, why is this taking so long to get over here? Why is everything that you look it up on a map, it's like 20 minutes. And it's like, it looks like it's right there. Just the city is so sprawling uh, and so just wide and everything like that. It just takes a long time to and then traffic too, uh, when they, when you rush hour traffic, uh, is a bit of a nightmare there too in Houston. So if you get the pleasure of, you know, traveling to Houston or whatever, I definitely recommend this restaurant, um, Blue Dorn. Like I said, we had a, a great time there. They got a great wine list, cool atmosphere too, as well. It's kind of got that New York vibe, but it's in Houston and, and everything too, with just kind of the energy in the dining room and whatnot. So you can follow Chase on Instagram. Uh, his handle is at C. V-O-E-L-Z underscore. You can also follow the restaurant at Blue Dorn, B-L-U-D-O-R-N-H-T-X. So Blue Dorn Houston, essentially the abbreviation. You can follow us on Instagram too, as well at Spoon Mob. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok too, as well. It's either Spoon Mob or Spoon Mob 1 on all those platforms. Make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform that you use. We're on pretty much every platform that you can think of, all the major ones, all the smaller independent ones that mainly deal with Android. We're on YouTube as well. We put all the episodes out a week after they come out on all the podcast platforms out on YouTube. So, you know, you can find us anywhere. So make sure to subscribe or follow whatever button that they have just so you don't miss out on any new episodes that we have coming up and they'll just download straight into your feed uh, as soon as we release them. Come out on Thursdays at 1 a.m. Uh, we put them out at 1 a.m. because a lot of people in the hospitality industry kind of get off around that time or maybe an hour or two before, but you're kind of wired and up. So we kind of, you know, try and take care of uh, the third shifters and give them something to listen to. I'm going to try to wind down. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to think of everybody here. So make sure to check out the website, spoonmob.com, different chef profiles, food pictures, uh, all that stuff is up there. Uh, all links to previous episodes, uh, too, as well. If there's something that you missed or didn't see or something like that, or, or maybe skipped over or whatever. But, uh, without any further delays, here's my conversation with chef 
Chase Voles, the CDC at Blue Dorn in Houston, Texas. Well, thanks again for agreeing to come on the podcast, taking some time out of your morning here. I like to kind of start with everybody at the beginning of their career. I mean, we had the pleasure of eating at Blue Dorn back in March, uh, had a great time, fantastic experience. Portion sizes are, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, but the, some of the portion sizes that you guys put out there, which I want to get to, uh, are pretty sizable. You know, before we kind of get into how you wound up down in Texas and everything, you know, take me kind of through your career, you know, how you got started. I mean, originally you're from Indiana, right? That's right. Yeah. I got started um, when I was, you know, growing up like eight, nine, ten. I was involved with 4-H. My family was big on, you know, 4-H. And um, as a part of that, uh, you know, in the summertime, my, my parents would both be at work and my sister and I would be spending time at, you know, grandma, grandpa's house. And um, as a part of 4-H, we took, you know, baking and, and stuff like that. And my grandma would always... Um, always be helping us with that and we like take these old family recipes and we we make them together and we kind of like practice them per se to take them to the the fair to get judged and that's kind of like how i started cooking and my love for cooking kind of started there how did uh the judging contest go i mean it's all subjective you know it's like everybody shows up with an apple pie or something like that but and it's being judged i mean i what i would think would be just kind of like local people that are involved with the fair i'm honestly not really sure but i don't think it's it's not too serious it's not as serious as what some of my family members took it at the time you know <laughs> your grandma's kind of teaching you know, all these recipes did you ever start kind of working in a restaurant was that like your first job or how did you get involved yeah uh when i was a senior in high school i got a job um at a local spot uh called Beef O'Brady's, actually. I come to find out it's actually a Florida chain. I didn't know that at the time, so it's kind of funny that it was Columbus, Indiana. So, yeah, I started there and, you know, worked Fry Station. And it, it was one of those spots that was kind of like a sports bar. So it had like you know, like six, seven fryers and, and you're frying almost everything on the menu was fried. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my time there, to be honest with you. I really liked the camaraderie in the kitchen and, and, and you know, the kind of brotherlyhood, if, if you will. In general, I just, I love the atmosphere. I, I love working with the guys. And and, um, and ultimately, that's part of you know, why I, I chose to go down this path. Yeah, I still love it today. What made you, I guess, pick Johnson & Wales in Denver? Because like you're from Indiana, Chicago's kind of right there. They have culinary schools too as well. What kind of led to that? I was online and I just kind of figured out this path that I wanted to take. I, I was actually enrolled and had gone through orientation at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. I had a roommate. I had I had my classes. I had everything set up. Um, and then I kind of just spurred this on my parents about a month from school. Like, hey, uh, I think I want to become a chef and go to culinary school. And, you know, it, at first, they were shocked, and I think they didn't know. They've supported me throughout everything, and, and I think they were just like, you know, okay, well, figure out what the best school is for you, and, and we can, we'll can look into it. And so I researched where some of the best culinary schools were. CIA was one of them, and then Johnson & Wales was on that list. And I looked at the locations, and they had opened Denver relatively recently um, at that time. And uh, we have family in Denver and we've always, we were, we're always vacationing in Denver and I loved you know, the mountains and skiing. And that was kind of a no brainer um, that if I was going to go, I wanted to go 
out there. I like to ask this question to everybody uh, who comes on the podcast, uh, just because everybody's kind of got a different take on it. So if somebody in your kitchen now comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I'm serious about being a chef. Do you think I should go to culinary school? What would you tell them? I would tell them to, to really go through, you know, the pros and cons of culinary school and, and, you know, some of the pros where, you know, you meet a lot of people, you make a lot of connections and networking. and It's a good way to get your feet wet at culinary school. I went to culinary school and I went to, and I got a bachelor's in food service management. And obviously one of the downfalls is the amount of debt you're in. And that's huge. I would say that for me, looking back at it, yeah, I, I, did I have to go? No, I went and I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't go down that path. So I don't have, I don't have regret there. Do I think you could still be successful? And if you, if you work in the right kitchen, I believe that, you know, you don't have to go to culinary school. If you find the right kitchen, right, find the right chef, you know, you find the right leaders and mentors. Um, I would say you can learn everything you learn in culinary school in an actual kitchen. That being said, you know, culinary school was good and it was good for me. And I, I learned a lot and I have no regrets, like I said. Yeah, it's kind of been to each their own kind of situation. It really depends on, like you said, kind of who you can connect with different kitchens that you can work in and experiences. But the debt thing is something that always kind of comes up with everybody is like, how much is too much? You know, is it, is it kind of worth it from that standpoint? It's a lot. It's a lot, especially you're not getting paid a ton as a, as a wine cook coming out of culinary school. It takes a long time. It's one I'm still paying off. Right before you graduate, you wind up getting an internship at Cafe Balloon in New York, right? How did that come about? Did you have different options to select from or how did you go through that process? I was looking at a couple couple places at the time, but that one came uh, highly suggested by uh, one of the other chefs that I had at the time, like through culinary school. They suggested I check that place out and I looked it up, researched it. I sent, sent an email to, to the restaurant, to Chef Gavin, and um, ultimately they, they brought me in for a stage. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how that came about. I sent a resume and all that stuff. Had you ever been to New York prior to that? No, uh, my sister was living there. Uh, she was going to fashion school up there, and um, it, it just kind of, you know, it, it worked out that she was she was there, and and then I moved there. Um, we actually shared a, a one bedroom that we could converted the living area into my bedroom, and it was like a little shoebox in Queens where. We lived and uh, commuted to work, and yeah, that was that. So working there too, that was the the first time you met Aaron, right? Yeah, he was the executive sous chef and left, and Chef Aaron became the executive chef. So like with the end of the internship, you know, you're there for a few months. Do you get the opportunity, you know, hey, if you want to stay on, like we have a spot for you, or like how does that all kind of work? It comes down to you know your 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 attitude, how well you work with others and, and, and all that stuff kind of comes into play. And yeah, I, I was invited to, to stay on after my internship and you know, I felt very honored and, and, and lucky to have been a part of it. And then from there, you wind up finding your way to Nashville, right? You wind up at Husk. Yeah. I, I mean, after a while, I was missing home, you know, in New York was just, it was kind of a big grind. After a while, I just realized that New York wasn't for me, you know, and um, yeah, I started, you know, to look at what the next step was for, for myself. And I, I missed home, you know, I, all my, my entire family, 
my best friends were in Indiana. And, um, I want to find somewhere close to home, close enough where I could still, you know, work in a great kitchen for, for a great chef and, and um, great team. I want to be somewhere like that, but also be close enough where I could, I could, you know, get away for a day or two. You know, I can go take that like weekend trip back home. You know, in, in New York, there, there's really there, there wasn't much like outside of the city to like take a take a two day trip. You know, it's like Nashville was perfect because it was three and a half hours from home and close enough. And uh, at the time, you know, Sean Brock was doing a lot of great things um, in the city, and he just opened up Nashville, Husk Nashville, actually. And, did a stage there and uh, learned a lot and it was just a different style of cooking there was a lot of open fire cooking that i was really interested in learning about so ultimately like that's that's what brought me down there and at that time like nashville's food scene was kind of like wasn't what it is today it was definitely on the upswing so what was kind of like the biggest difference between cooking in new york and cooking in nashville that you experienced well when i was at cafe we were we were so lucky to have we had a prep cook team we had we had people um that took care of orders you know put them away and and placed the orders and then took care of um you know basically i don't want to say back office stuff but like some of the administrative stuff almost so in nashville we we didn't really have a prep team the, the cooks were responsible for the majority of their mise en place we, we had a, a few people that did did prep in the morning and and um and the, and some of that stuff but the the wine cooks when they when they got in were ultimately responsible for the majority of their prep and and executing and taking care of that you know getting set up for service putting away orders two people were in charge of staff meal um every day and it was just you know it really taught you a lot about um yeah how to organize your day and your prep day in ways that will be most efficient because sometimes your prep list was huge and and uh you know you're scheduling at one yeah you, you have a few short hours of the day to get everything done put away all the orders and, and and be set up for service so it really taught you to push and organize your day in in a timely manner so you can get ready and, and be set up on time We've had a few Husk alums on the podcast. Who all was kind of in the kitchen with you? Because I know, you know, Brian Baxter, you know, worked there for a time. So I wasn't sure if that was the same time frame that you were there. Because a lot of those people have gone on to open their own restaurants or run restaurants. So there's quite an impressive network that's come from the Sean Brock tree, I guess you could say. Yeah, Chef Baxter was the chef de cuisine at the time. And Nate Leonard was the executive sous chef. He's opening up South Hall Farm. Yeah, South Hall Farm is outside of Nashville. And it's Drew McLeod. He's a chef in Asheville. Taylor Hester, he helped open uh, Mason Yaki in New York. He's got a restaurant now in Maine. Um, Taylor Zollner was another uh, cook there at the time. She's a CDC at Lazy Bear in San Francisco. And several people who are still involved with you know, Chef Sean's uh, ventures in, in Nashville. A lot of great cooks in that kitchen that have gone to, to do great things. Listing all the people that you did and kind of where they're at now, was that a kind of byproduct of, you know, everybody wanting to work, you know, with or at a Sean Brock restaurant or just kind of, you know, that magical kind of time where just everybody kind of came together and you wound up having like all this talent in the kitchen at once at different levels on the line? I mean, I definitely think that the the systems in place there uh, 
contributed to uh, people learning a lot growing you know in their culinary arts career per se um you know chef nate chef baxter i i still keep in touch with them and, and they've been great mentors to me and i think that the way, the way they push us and and uh you know that the, the responsibility you had as a wine cook there i think um as a new cook it really taught you to grow up fast i think it was the system and and uh and the restaurant that really really helped people so after time in uh, Nashville there at Husk, you wind up going to Chicago. What led to going there? I was just thinking about at the time, you know, what, what my next step is. And again, I, you know, Chicago is also close to home. And I ultimately met my wife at the time in Nashville. And we, she moved to Chicago first. And I spent about a year more in Nashville and doing the long distance things for a while. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, if, if we're going to stay together, I'm going to have to make a move up there. You know, looked at restaurants and I saw that the Alinea Group was opening up this open fire concept called Royster. Hey, what's up? Called Royster. And, you know, they did open fire stuff like how, how we did at Husk. And, and that was really intriguing. And I love cooking over the fire and cooking over the fire plus the Alinea Group and working for a chef like chef Hackett's it, it was a great opportunity that i wanted to i want to kind of pursue and jump on and and uh went up there do a stage and loved it they had just opened so they're just kind of getting in the groove as well now you were there too when they get awarded a michelin star right what was that like that was really cool i mean it, it was rewarding even even as a as a young cook you know from the bottom up getting that accolade it was you know really about the whole team and knowing that you know you contributed in that to that in some way shape or form it was it was very rewarding and and it, it felt it felt awesome and I, I remember that day you know chef curtis duffy coming in the restaurant and, and during our prep day and he walked through and shook everyone's hand and, and said congratulations and yeah i just thought that that was really cool um seeing other chefs could come in and congratulate our team yeah it was that was pretty cool a pretty cool time what is your take on on Michelin stars and awards? Because every chef's different, and some chefs, it. I think a lot of chefs really. It's yeah, it's great to get the recognition, but that's not why we do it. That's not you know why I decided to become a chef was to pursue awards and stuff like that. But if it's a byproduct of what I'm doing, that's great. Is that kind of your feeling too on the subject? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. You know, it's really not about the awards at all. It's it's about the love for what you're doing and, you know, getting that, getting recognition is great, but you know, what really matters is, you know, your team and, um, and knowing that you're, you're doing your best and you're doing what you love and, and just making, making people happy essentially is what it is. Cooking food and loving what you cook and serving what you love. And, and I think that's really what it's all about. Working at restaurants that have gotten Michelin stars is great. And it, it was, a, it was a cool thing, but at the end of the day, those don't really matter. I don't think too much. It, I think it's good not to take them too seriously because you know they they come and go. I guess you know what I mean. Rewards. Yeah, I mean, like I think this is like two years later, and then it, it was kind of gone or, or whatever. And the weird system with you know whenever like the CDC or main chef kind of leaves, then it's like you lose a star and, and all that stuff. But but also kind of during your time at Royster, I mean, that's when you become a sous chef really for the first time too, right? Yeah. What was like the biggest challenge with managing other chefs, other cooks, you know, on the line and, and being a sous chef for the first time? 
as a cook there for so long, I, I worked up and worked up to, you know, meat station. I've been on meat for a long time. And it, I think the biggest challenge was, you know, stepping into that management role amongst other cooks that I've been cooking alongside with for a while, you know, kind of earning another, a different level of respect, I guess, as a, as a young manager and sous chef amongst them. I think that that was probably the most difficult. Is it similar to almost like an office job when someone gets promoted to, you know, office manager or something out of like, you know, this pool of like 10 people and there's probably like, you know, five people that were interested in the position. And then like, cause like sometimes in that dynamic, you can have like some people are like a little resentful and some people are like, well, why did I get passed over or whatever like that? Does that happen, you know, in that kind of kitchen environment too, in a situation like that? And I'm not saying like that happened to you, but like that, you know, of like, that's a possibility, right? Yeah. I mean, in the kitchen, like on the line and stuff like that, people getting moved to a different station or whatever. I mean, that's always going to happen. But ultimately, I think that there's two sides of everything. And there may be several people that are, are proven and that deserve to be promoted or moved off. Um, but ultimately, it's about, you know, understanding that, that they're still needed at where they're at and their value is still high. They're still valuable. Looking at, at one side of it that, you know, like, for example, like, Garmage, we have a team of like four or five people, right? Past that, we have we have a couple stations that they may progress to before they go to say fish and meat. So you know we can't we can't just pull like three or four people off at a time. We pull one person off, and it's about you know there, there's a few others that may also deserve it, and it's not really about oh this person's better than that person. It, it's it's timing. It's it's there's a lot of factors that go into it, and 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 it's reassuring that their value and and their contribution to the restaurant, the fact that we we still need those leaders on those stations to train and to show new young aspiring cooks um, the the system and the way we do things, and and making sure we have a foundation on that station still to instill that in younger younger new cooks. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't drain your talent and resources from one section. The whole product suffers and you have to space it out kind of. So up to that kind of point in time, you know, you'd worked for or at a restaurant that was kind of founded or run by, you know, Danny Balud, Sean Bra, Grant Ackett's, you know, all those restaurants are part of kind of what they were going on. Was that by design on your end? Like you always wanted to work for certain chefs or was it just kind of happenstance that it just worked out that way? Yes and no. It wasn't about working for the chef as it was working for some of the best leaders that I can surround myself with and the best teams. And that's what I, I really wanted because I knew if I was going to grow, if I was going to become the best chef that I could ultimately be. I can only do that by working with the best around me. You know, I, I didn't see specifically Danielle Blue's name or Sean Brock or Grant Ackett's. It was about what they represented in their companies and it was about it was about their team it was about you know the chefs that that learned and, and worked under them and and working for them and learning under those guys that ultimately represent those people kind of taking lessons and taking you know techniques and things along the way and and seeing how how they lead their kitchens and and taking that and learning from it from each each one of them so eventually you find your way down to Houston. How did that opportunity come up to work at Blue Door? And like, did Aaron reach out to you? Did you hear through the grapevine that he was opening his own spot? 
Uh, Chef Aaron actually, uh, he reached out to me and, and um, he told me he was opening up the spot. And, and since leaving Cafe, you know, Chef Aaron and I, every so often, shoot each other texts and see see how each other was doing. You know, we're, we kept in touch actually as well. We were in a fantasy football league um, for a while together. And yeah, he, he reached out to me when I was in Chicago and said, hey, uh, you know, he had plans on opening up a restaurant in Houston and wanted to know if I was interested and ultimately brought brought me and uh my wife down and uh showed us around the city We've never been to texas before so yeah that was that was kind of how that came about when you guys first visit you know houston you know obviously one of the questions that you guys probably have is like could you live here could you envision living here so what was it that you guys kind of found about houston that you're like yeah i could i could move here and live here and this would work yeah, I mean, Houston is kind of under the radar as far as like big cities go and, and destinations. But, you know, what I loved about Houston right right away was the weather. You know, it, coming from the Midwest and from Chicago, it, it gets very cold. And I, I've i never been a huge fan of of the, the bitter winters. And down here, the, the weather is so nice. And in the wintertime, it's almost like wintertime patio season, you know, and it's it's a big change and um i really like that the food is another thing that was a factor such a close proximity to the ocean you got all kinds of great um great seafood coming right from the gulf and you got great mexican food you got cajun you got creole you have barbecue there's there's it's a different element kind of um you know in this part of texas than what you find it you certainly find it in chicago but i guess it's just not as um find it as much there as here it's you know it's kind of a part of the part of the city you know it it's everywhere the Viet Cajun the Vietnamese food yeah it's it's really cool so yeah there's that it's and it's you know the location was being so close to you know Austin and Dallas and San Antonio and New Orleans and your two-hour flight to Cancun the location's amazing but really I mean the people down here they're so they're so gracious and and uh, the people of Houston the community the restaurant community, you know, you have Southern Smoke down here and people like Chris Shepard that, that just give back to the industry so much and, and being surrounded by that that love um, that Houston has, um, you know, it's it's second to none. The restaurant opened, I think, August of 2020 officially, right? Was that always the targeted date or did that, were originally you guys supposed to open and then obviously the pandemic happened and delayed stuff or... I'm not really sure if the if the opening date got pushed, but I know that I was supposed to be down there earlier than what I was, and that obviously got pushed because of COVID. I believe that opening date got pushed, ultimately. I think that it did get pushed, and COVID did have something to do with that, but you know, we also opened kind of in the middle of COVID too. Um, like that was all still happening and going on. So that was a big, you know, that was a, that was a big decision by, by, you know, Chef Aaron. It worked out ultimately. Did you move before the pandemic started or did you have to move like during? It was right when it first started. We had actually broke our lease in Chicago and we're looking to move down here within the month. And then that happened and we were kind of, we kind of, you know, veered and went, okay, obviously the restaurant is going to have to be put on pause right now, you know? So we just broke our lease and we're like, okay, well, what are we doing now? Because we don't have obviously any work. So we, we went to, uh, to live with Nikki's parents, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina for, for a few months before coming down here. And just kind of hung out. 
and tried to make the best of the situation as you could. Hung out and uh, played cards and just kind of like, you know, we packed all our stuff, moved it there. And then we, a couple months later, packed back up and moved to, moved to Houston. This is pretty much the first restaurant that you were part of the opening for, right? Because Broyster kind of had already opened before you joined. Yeah, well, Royster had opened probably about four or five months uh, before I got there. So yeah, this was this was my first real opening. What was kind of the biggest challenge or biggest takeaway that you have from going through, you know, the opening of a restaurant, trying to separate, you know, obviously it's the first time you do it. And then it's also these circumstances of having a pandemic going on too, as well, that kind of throws other stuff on top. But is there anything that when you reflect on that time that you're like surprised about or didn't expect or anything? I wouldn't say surprised, you know, there, there obviously it has its challenges and it's, I wouldn't say anything difficult. I would say a challenge, you know, being so new to the city and not being familiar with, you know, purveyors or having relationships with any, you know, contacts or anything like that. It's kind of starting from scratch. And, um, you know, Chef Aaron really helped me with that and got me in touch with some local purveyors and, and people we would ultimately do business with and setting up, setting up accounts and, you know, um, setting, setting up our systems here in the kitchen and, and, um, you know, just simple things like, you know, where are we going to, where are we going to store these things? You know, where are we going to store this or that? And, um, you know, bringing on hiring a whole brand new team and going through those interviews and, you know, not having, not having a kitchen to see, you know, stages work or how well they work with the team or, you know, anything like that. It's just kind of like, just kind of hiring based on, you know, resumes and stuff like that. And, and, um, bring an entire new team in all at once, you know, even management, like we're all new and just kind of, you know, going through opening together, you have growing pains, obviously. And, and, you know, there's, there's bumps along the road, but you know, I, I wouldn't say it was difficult per se. I, I guess I, you know, having chef Aaron and, and Sharif and having a great, you know, team and a great chef to work for, I guess kind of made it, he kind of made it easier for me uh, to do my job. So I would say, I mean, I mean, I would say that there, there are those challenges. The vibe of the dining room you know, at least at the dinner time, it's kind of got a New York feel to it. Like it's got that like lively kind of loud energy. It's not like you can't hear yourself think or anything loud, but it's, you can tell there's people there and people are eating and people are moving and conversations are happening. Like it has that kind of New York feel. Was that designed to be that way on purpose or was that like a byproduct of just the space and how it just kind of worked out? I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I think, I think, uh, ultimately, you know, you know, Chef Aaron, Sharif, I think that that's kind of the atmosphere that they would, like best case scenario, that's what we, we wanted ultimately. And, and you know, that wouldn't happen for a little bit, obviously with COVID, but um, yeah, ultimately, like having that open dining room and, and you know, being able to see the kitchen and, and, and the music and, you know, once it gets busy, it's just kind of like the energy in the dining room, you can just, you can feel it. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, I think it's a little bit of both. So with the menu, one of the dishes we got when we were there was like a duck dish and it is a giant piece of duck bread. Like it is huge. Like, so is that on purpose too as well? Or is that just because of the purveyors and stuff that you use that you wind up having some portion sizes that are, you know, just kind of this giant size, you know? It's kind of by design, you know, um, you know it's something that's different down here that, you know, you see is a lot of people, they, they like bigger portion sizes and and um that's that's also something that we used to do at royster 
as well. Um, a lot of the dishes, not a lot, but there were there were definitely dishes on the menu that that you know if you're really, really hungry, you could, you could probably eat the whole thing or take it home, or you could share it amongst two or three people. And that's 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 a part of the menu down here, um, at least somewhat. You know, you you could if you're really hungry, you could eat the whole thing, or um, you know, you could easily share it with a, with with family or friends with a few people. So. Um, yeah, I would say that's that's partly by by design. With the menu, how often do you guys kind of change things based on seasonality? Because I mean, the seasons you know are a little bit different in Texas because of the climate and everything. That you can kind of stretch things a little bit longer, right? Yeah, uh, it depending. Yeah, um, but we do like to change uh, the menu seasonally, so about four times a year. You guys also do, I think, a decent amount of guest chef dinners collaborations. When you guys decide on doing something like that, you know, how do you approach it? Is it just getting the vibe of the other chef and, and figuring out kind of what they want to do and how that fits into what you guys do well? Or, you know, is it just kind of going in with a set plan of like, hey, we should try and do this because it's out of our comfort zone? Like, Yeah, a couple of things uh, I think go into that. And one is, you know, we, we want to do a dinner that's fun and that that's going to attract you know, Houstonians to come in and, and come in and eat food that we don't typically eat here. And, it, and it's from a different part of us from a different chef. Right. And it's, we've done, I mean, we've done like, you know, Mexican cuisine, we've done, um, you know, we've done Asian cuisine. We just barbecue. African cuisine. You guys, I think did a, like a Senegal, right? Yeah. Our dinners, we, we usually, are doing food that we don't typically cook here. And that's, that's kind of the biggest thing to, to do something different. And not only is that for our guests and, and, you know, the people who come into this restaurant and come in frequently, it's, you know, giving a little bit different of a, of a vibe and different cuisine, um, different cooking styles. And it's also, you know, for the staff and, and, and the, the chefs in the back of the house and cooks and, and the team to see, see something different, you know, uh, get inspired by, by another chef's, you know, cuisine and what they cook and learning new techniques and things like that. It's, it's really for, you know, the guest chef dinners are kind of for everybody. And, and, uh, yeah, they're just all fun, but I would say, yeah, ultimately it's, it's about, you know, doing something different than that we don't typically do here. And the other, you know, how we, you ask how we, how we go about, you know, finding a chef or whatever. And, you know, a lot of these chefs that come in, um, you know, chef Aaron is, you know, friends with, or, you know, has a relationship with, or, you know, is friends at the restaurant or, you know, any, something like that. You guys do, I think, brunch on Sundays. Yeah. Are you a brunch guy? Or, Cause mo I think most chefs are not most chefs. I think they, they start out and doing the omelets and stuff somewhere along the lines when they worked at a hotel or something like that. And then they kind of like never want to go back to it. So are you a enjoy brunch chef or are you like a, yeah, we have it, but you know, it's, it's not my favorite thing to have to be doing sometimes. I don't mind it. I'm indifferent. Did you ever consider, you know, in your career when you were coming up, you know, you did stages here, but you never went overseas. Was that not something that you wanted to do or? No, it, honestly, going overseas for me was, it was just a little too far. I wanted to stay in the States. Does your mom still send you uh, Duke's Mayo for Christmas? She's done it a couple times. <laughs> no, because we have Dukes down here. Was that the thing? It was like it just wasn't available where you were at kind of thing? 
in New York, it wasn't it wasn't available in New York. You don't you don't see Dukes up there. It's Hellman's, I guess. So it's the only way you could get it at the time. But now you can get it down in Texas. Oh yeah. Your family, I think you guys have a farmland plot from the great 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 grandfather that like he bought back in like 1875. Is that uh, you know someday or you plan on doing anything with that? you know, making an active kind of farm or is that just a cool story to have in kind of the family lineage? Yeah, it's, it's a cool family lineage. He bought that land in 1875 and some of the, a couple of the barns that are actually still there were built back near that time. Nowadays, I mean, it is still a functioning farm, but we don't, our family doesn't farm it anymore. Yeah, we have other, other people come and farm it, but I expect it to be, know passed down in, in my family i guess to my dad or to, to me and um yeah i mean i would love to to make sure it's taken care of obviously you know if, if i if one day i acquired it i would not look to would look to be selling it you know i'm trying to find somebody who would take care of it will you guys ever do another edition of the hot sauce that you guys did uh the blue Norn hot sauce yeah so it's actually available for purchase online i believe through our websites um and we the restaurant too yeah i didn't see it on the website the other day so i was assuming that it was just out of stock like every coming in back in the season kind of thing from time to time we we try to catch it right now we're trying to bring in all the peppers we can to uh really bulk up for the winter time what's next for you you know professionally i mean obviously you're running a restaurant down there in houston but any aspirations of ever opening a restaurant of your own one day somewhere down the line or anything like that right now at this time, I, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not really looking that far in advance. It's just uh, it's just being here and running this team and and, and the restaurant here. Um, I haven't really thought about about that far down the line. Um, you know, in my early in my career, you know, as, as a young chef, you always think about have my own restaurant, whatever. But yeah, right now I'm just having a great time running Blue Dorn and learning a lot about the ins and outs of the business aspect of the restaurant. And I, if if that time ever came, you know, I, I still have lots to learn. And right now it's just staying put and, and uh, you know, growing the steam and, and continuing the Blue Dorn way. So we have a handful of more questions for you. This question comes from the previous guest on the podcast, uh, T. Sommelier, Ashley Lim of uh, Mansatee in New York City. Her question she left behind was, uh, why aren't you offering a tea pairings on your menu does tea make sense for blue dorn or is it just kind of the clientele doesn't really gravitate towards it you know she was curious as to why more restaurants don't have tea you know available kind of to the customer base i haven't really thought about that why don't we serve tea i would say at blue dorn and in what we do right now it doesn't make sense for the clientele i guess i don't know how to put this eloquently we have tea available our guests are not requesting, they're not coming in and requesting tea. There's not, the demand from our clientele is not, it's, it's not really there. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. That's the answer. Like it is what it is. It's not that you guys wouldn't do it or anything, but it's just that, you know. It's something that we, that wasn't in the plan for the restaurant. We haven't had it and there hasn't been a substantial demand for it where we would make a shift and put it on. And that's what wouldn't if there was, but um you know we just hadn't had it and and that that's not that's just simply not part of what we do what's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest can be anything 
when you're outside the restaurant or you know wherever bar or wherever this person may come from their workplace what is their favorite thing to eat on their days off where do they go what do they get so this next question comes from one of our listeners they wrote in what's been the biggest challenge or difference working with gulf seafood versus fresh water from possibly your chicago and indiana days or even atlantic seafood from you know when you're over in new york well for me being down here it's just uh been the biggest challenge i don't know if there's been a challenge but i would say the difference is just the proximity and the locality of of our fish we've always uh we've always strived to get our our fish and seafood as much as possible from the gulf because it's right there oysters included um so the oyster the oyster part was big we, i haven't really you know you don't see gulf oysters really in many places other than around the gulf and that was something cool that we we had the opportunity to showcase is uh oyster farms around the gulf because there are some really great ones you know it's what's cool about it, it also is that you know we we got we got fishermen that sometimes just are dropping things off, you know, and, and hitting me up or, or or my executive sous chef up about product that, you know, they're getting like we're like right now we're getting stone crabs from Galveston, which I and some people here never even knew that stone crabs actually came from Galveston. We had a guest one time that was like, I'm from Galveston. I don't I never saw stone crabs. These aren't from these can't be from Galveston. They're from Florida because, you know, they're normally from Florida. But no, they, we have this fisherman, Captain Fred, <clears throat> since Captain Fred drops drops off every week a couple bags of of uh, stone crabs that he caught an hour away in Galveston. So. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say there's anything difficult about it. If anything, it's just it's different and it's more opportunity that's coming from the, being so close to the Gulf. You know what I mean? So this last set of questions we ask to everybody who comes on the podcast. So nice compare and contrast across all the episodes and, and everybody. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? I mean, that would be Chef Aaron. Definitely. No staying in touch since... Um, since I left Cafe and, um, you know, working and learning under him at Cafe and staying in touch since then and giving me an opportunity to come and, and lead a kitchen and having that trust in me despite being away from, you know, Cafe for so long. <laughs> we got a fly trap right here. So it's like, uh, like whoa. <laughs> yeah, just having that trust in me, it's a no-brainer that he's had the most impact on, you know, on my professional career what's one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without a spoon restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own so stereo i usually give is you know person gets stuck overnight at the houston airport you guys are closed they reach out to you hey you know we're stuck here where should we go eat i'd go to truth barbecue something simple something quick something delicious and texas bucket list travel destination bucket list restaurant so any place you haven't been to yet that you still want to visit and any place that you haven't had the chance to eat at yet but you still want to dine at and experience one day what first comes to mind is savannah georgia haven't been to savannah been to charleston love that area of the country and savannah because my chef and one of my mentors, Andrew Brochu, Chef Brochu from Royster, moved down there and he's opening up his own restaurant called Brochu's in Savannah. 
with uh, another one of the sous chefs at Roaster, Dave. Yeah, they're opening it together, and it's kind of been a long time coming. Like they they were about to open something in Chicago, and then COVID happened, and yeah. So ultimately, they're moving along with uh, Chef Roshu's uh, restaurant down there. That's where I would want to go when that opens in Savannah. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working? At Royster, a couple times, actually. Our Ansel system shut off, but one time there was a fire on the roof, and and I was working hard. Our hood vent system just, you heard it go, boom, 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 and it just shut off. We're cooking. It was like a Saturday night, and me and my station partner kind of looked at each other, and we are like, is this, did this thing shut off? We had a dining room full of people. It was an open kitchen, and we're cooking all with fire, right? So there's smoke starting to build, and we're, and it, it's, we figured out it was off because smoke started to kind of like filter out into the dining room and it started to get cloudy and like front of the house, the managers were coming to the kitchen. It, like this all happened in seconds. Like, uh, what's the, why is the dining room smells like smoke? And so somebody ran outside and, and figured out that there was a fire on the roof and above us were apartments. So somebody's apartment had, you know, something, I don't know to this day what exactly happened, but, you know, it's like, what do you do in that situation? We got a dining room full of people and we can't cook anymore. So, um, tried to, you know, we calmly got as calmly as we could, got everybody out of there. You know, there's a, there's a fire in the building. And so everybody went out, kind of tried. We were outside for hours while we watched the fire department go into the building, figure out what's wrong, you know, put out the fire, that whole situation. And, and I think we were outside for a solid two hours, two and a half hours. We were just, Everybody was just kind of standing there waiting. That was one of them. That was one of the things, I think. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything that you know is terrible for you, fast food, candy, whatever, but uh, you just can't help yourself? Taco Bell, Kit Kat, Red Bull. So since you answered Taco Bell, and that's, uh, we get that answer a decent amount of time. What is your Taco Bell order? Uh, cheesy Gordita Crunch. Uh, I'll get every time. Favorite Instagram account you follow? I enjoy getting a laugh sometimes out of the Sussmans. Yeah, the restaurant memes. Yeah, those are pretty funny. Favorite dish, favorite thing you ever cooked, created, you know, looking back on your career thus far, you can kind of almost point to this as being, you know, your aha moment. Like you created this thing and you knew, you know, from that point that you could be a professional chef. I don't know. I, I don't know if I, there's one thing that I created and that I, I mean, something that I put on here, we do fried chicken every last Tuesday of the month. We do a fried chicken dinner. We do either half or a whole fried chicken, bone in, we serve that with a couple sides, biscuits. Um, and that's, that's really taken off. That's become pretty popular. I guess, I guess I would probably say that. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is. Uh, if you were, is there a moment, episode, scene, something that stands out about him? Or if you weren't, is there anybody who was like a culinary personality that was on TV that you kind of gravitated towards coming up through your career, whether it's a Bobby Flay or Guy Fieri or Emeril, anything like that? I'm also an Anthony Bourdain fan. You asked for a moment. Obviously, Kitchen Confidential was a very popular book back whenever I was deciding whether I want to be a chef or not. But uh, I also got the opportunity to go see him speak with Eric Repair in Santa Barbara one time way back. It was in probably like 2010, probably like 2010. And I thought that was really cool. Like I was in culinary school at the time and seeing a couple leaders in the industry you know, talk about it. That was a pretty cool thing to see. Where can people find you? Social media, website, reservations, plug everything. Uh, I'm on Instagram. 
find me through the restaurant website. Um, don't have Facebook. Honestly, that's pretty much it. I don't really use plus social media uh, platform. Really, just it's just Instagram. Yeah, through the restaurant website. You can find uh, the restaurant Blue Dorn uh, on Instagram too as well. I think it's Blue Dorn HTX. But you guys are open, I think, every day of the week, right? Yeah, yeah. Monday through Sunday. Sunday for uh, two services. And our bar opens at four. So our bar opens a little before um, our normal service starts. But uh, yeah, Monday through Sunday. Sunday for brunch and dinner. And then uh, reservations on the website. You can find the the hot sauce there sometimes in the shop when it's in stock. And then you guys have some, usually have a couple events going on that are available through the website too. Guest chef dinners or whatever. And then obviously the fried chicken thing last Tuesdays of every month uh, that you mentioned too. So yeah, I mean, we had a great time there back in March when we were able to stop in, uh, order a bunch of different stuff. Uh, risotto, uh, I think uh, the duck. I can't remember what else we ordered too, but portion sizes were surprising, you know, even though everything's bigger in Texas, as they say, but uh, the food was delicious too, as well. It wasn't like, oh, you're getting all this food and it's like, eh. no, the food was fantastic. The the sauce work, the flavors, combinations, it's all amazing. So, you know, I couldn't recommend it enough to anybody who's headed uh, to Houston or, or stopping through or anything, especially with you guys being open, you know, every day where it's really hard to find restaurants that are open Mondays for sure. Uh, and then Sunday and Tuesdays can kind of be a, a crapshoot depending on, you know, where you're traveling to and everything. So awesome restaurant. Um, it's cool to see, you know, I think you guys also do on the Instagram account, you guys do a really great job of highlighting the different people that work there uh, that are part of the team too, where I think a lot of restaurants don't. And, you know, some of that is because, you know, if there's change in staff and turnover so much, stuff like that too. But you guys do a, a good job of mixing in, you know, who's doing what kind of behind the scenes and within operations, but also putting out, you know, food photos and stuff like that too as well. So it's definitely worth a worth a follow too and and appreciate you coming on and uh we'll be stopping in whenever we're back uh traveling through Texas. Awesome. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me on the show. Big thanks again to Chef Chase Voles for coming on the podcast, taking some time. Big thanks to the media and marketing and PR department over at Blue Dorn for helping coordinate everything with uh, scheduling days and times and everything. So shout out to them too as well, because obviously couldn't have made this happen without them. Again, you can follow him on Instagram at cvoles underscore and also at Blue Dorn HTX uh, for the restaurant account there too as well. You can follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob. Make sure to check out the website, SpoonMob.com. Uh, you can write in questions, comments, feedback, either through the website or directly to SpoonMob at Yahoo.com is our email address. And make sure to just subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you're using. You know, we appreciate all the word of mouth recommendations. You know, recently had a couple things come through. Uh, that were all positive feedback and everything like that. So really appreciate that stuff. And we even got invited to kind of a friends and family thing for a new restaurant here in Columbus, Tupelo Honey. And that was an amazing experience too, that we got to go kind of try some of the food there firsthand before they opened their first Columbus location. So appreciate everybody reaching out and, you know, those that do and thinking of us, you know, when a chef is opening something or, um, you know, looking to promote something or just, um, you know, trying to get the word out about, you know, the restaurant that's been in business for a few years too, as well. So we're here to help. We want to have, you know, cool people on, interesting conversations, you know, people that we believe in that are cooking great food or pushing the boundaries or doing something interesting. Don't really want to have anybody who's kind of a run of the mill thing or, you know, we try and make sure that everybody that we've had on, and I think it's probably, I mean, it's got to be like 95% that had their food firsthand. So you can kind of vouch for like, this is something that, you know, we really enjoy and would recommend it. So 
if you're looking for any restaurant recommendations, I recommend just going through uh, the website, going through all the guests that we've had. Any of those places I'd recommend um, without a doubt. That is it for this week. Again, appreciate everybody listening. If you're new here, welcome. If you've been here uh, listening for a while, appreciate the continued support. Uh, a lot of cool things in the works too as well. So we got a bunch of different guests lined up and more on the way and super excited about all those interviews and episodes that we're going to be releasing too as well. So appreciate everybody. Thank you for all the support and we will talk to you guys next week.